Well, I don't know about you, but I tell you what, I'm really excited. Uh, I was just saying to Peter early on, I says, I'm wound up like a spring. Um, and uh, I'm just absolutely excited. How many of you remember that little advertisement that we sometimes see on television with the little energizer battery? You know, the guy that says, you know, well, I feel exactly like that. I'm just so alive. And, uh, and uh, we've been starting to speak about healing last week. Um, starting a new series of messages uh, entitled uh, Redigging the Wells of Divine Healing. And uh, I was just thinking to myself, uh, I have all the plans. I'm fully planning to go through the whole winter without any downtime, without any colds or flus or anything else. Now, I'm not uh, in any way to want anybody to think that I'm bragging. I'm simply making a faith confession, all right, because we've learned and we know that healing belongs to us. Uh, and at a certain stage, we're not uh, only always trying trying to reach out for healing, but we're walking in divine health. And there's a level uh, that uh, God wants us to get to, and uh, by faith we absolutely will. So what I'll do right now is uh, I will spend uh, just a couple of minutes recapping on what we have discussed last week. Um, and at this stage, uh, I'm not quite sure how many Sundays we will be speaking about this subject, but at a certain point I will feel that, uh, that we have uh, you know, covered the subject well and uh, that we are able to move on to something else, but we're still at the very front end of uh, this series of messages. So we turn to Exodus chapter 15 verse 26 where God revealed himself as the Lord our healer, as Jehovah Rapha. God says, I am the Lord who heals you. And because we know that in the original language Language there, God says, I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. And that's why sometimes when we refer to God as Jehovah Rapha, well, that's the passage of Scripture where we get that from. And we said that supernatural healing for our bodies is available to us today because of Christ's redemptive work on the cross. And uh, here in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, it says that Jesus cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, uh, and he healed all the sick. And if you've got a, a pen in your hand, circle the word all. He healed all the sick. All right. Uh, it says, uh, this fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet who said, uh, prophet Isaiah, who said, he took our sicknesses and he removed our diseases. He took our sicknesses and he removed our diseases. And then finally, we pointed out from Acts chapter 10 verse uh, 23 uh, that sickness is called an oppression of the devil. Sickness is not from God to teach us a lesson uh, or anything like that or to punish us, but it is a, an oppression of the devil. Um, and finally, in Matthew chapter 15 verse 26, Jesus called healing the children's bread. And so we make mention of the fact that in God's mind, healing is not anything complicated or anything sort of overly special, only reserved for extra special people, but it is the children's bread. He gives us as freely and as easily uh, as, as that. And so with that, if you haven't got an outline in your hand, uh, raise up your hand uh, and uh, one of our 
team are going to get you one, and I'm going to pray right now, and then we're going to launch out. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again, Lord, that healing belongs to us by covenant. And Lord, as we journey through this message, we pray, God, that you'd speak to us a fresh word, a fresh understanding in this whole area. And we thank you again, Lord, that you said that your word is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you, God, that every lie is confronted by the truth of your word, that every uh, deception is obliterated. And we thank you, God, that we're able to live in the truth. We're able to live in your word and to be thoroughly blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to encourage you this morning to uh, pay particular attention. Uh, we're going to jump into the word now and we're going to cut a groove along. Uh, I've uh, just uh, been studying the word again. This is a word, and as many of you do. Um, and uh, I was just sitting there, and I got so excited about this stuff. And I thought, gosh, this is so good. Like, oh, this is just so good. Like feasting on the word. And uh, it's like I've had some fresh insights there. And I'm hoping that I can convey that insight to you this morning. But, uh, but it's important that we stay, we stay connected. So uh, don't, don't be thinking about lunch. You know, lunch is not happening until lunchtime. And this is time in the word right now. We're going to feed our spirit right now. And trust God that we will receive fresh insights here this morning. So the first point that I would like to make, and then flow straight on into the scripture that uh, says exactly that, that number one, it says the gospel of the kingdom includes physical healing for the, for the body. All right, the gospel of the kingdom includes physical healing for the body. I don't know why it is that uh, you will get uh, people, you would get even ministers that will preach salvation but not preach healing, or that will preach salvation and preach against healing. That does not make sense as far as Bible is concerned. It's all one package. So with that, let me read from Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and verse 24. It says that Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdoms. Notice the phrase here. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And then his fame went throughout all of Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, uh, paralytics, and he healed them. All right, so what we read here, friends, is that uh, when Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, he also preached healing, and then he demonstrated healing. If we were to preach, and if we are preaching the same gospel of the kingdom today, we also have to include healing, because that's what Jesus did. And somehow it would not be right for us to splice things away and say, oh, that's no longer for today, or that's no longer for today. And then, you know, sometimes people go by experience and say, well, we're not perhaps not seeing as much as what we should be seeing, and, and perhaps you're right. But that doesn't change the world. All right? That does not change Scripture. So let's just firmly establish in our minds that absolutely physical healing for the body uh, is included in the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, as we study um, the life and the ministry of Jesus uh, from the moment he was 30 years of age uh, and he came into the synagogue in Nazareth, and we'll have a look at some of those scriptures very shortly, to some three, three and a half years later, his ministry uh, that took about, you know, as Bible scholars tell us, about three, three and a half years. If we analyze that, we can divide his total ministry into three main parts. 
Three main areas. And again, it's in your outline. Number one, there's teaching. Number two, there's preaching. Number three, there is healing. All right. And healing in this instance also includes setting people free from uh, demonic bondages and so forth. It, that's kind of covered in that, in that cover term of healing. It says that he was teaching in their synagogues. Teaching in their synagogues. Then number two, it says he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And number three, he was healing all kinds of sickness and disease. And here's, friends, here's what that looks like. People say, what's the difference between teaching and preaching? And uh, somebody smart one day said, well, it's about an hour. That's about the difference. But that's not, that's just a fun thing. Uh, here's, here's the difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching is explanation. Preaching is proclamation. All right? There's explanation and then there's proclamation. And then Jesus moved on to demonstration. Let me say it again. Teaching, preaching, and then demonstration. Um, and um, I'm committed that, uh, in fact, we're always committed to always pray for people that need healing in their body. But over the next few weeks, as we are journeying through this uh, whole message here in regards to divine healing, I'm committed that uh, at the end of the preaching time, that we have a time of laying hands on the sick uh, and uh, seeing them recover, that we've got a demonstration going on. Because if we do teaching and preaching, then let's have a demonstration afterwards. All right? Everybody good with that? Somebody said, well, uh, you know, we prayed for... Somebody last week and they're still not well. I said, well, let's pray for them again. All right, not complicated. Let's pray for them again. It's not something that we, you know, have to do again and again necessarily. But here's what Jesus said. One day he was praying for a blind person and, uh, you know, ministered to them. And, and he says, do you see anything? And, and the guy said, well, I see men walking around like trees. Like, uh, you know, like he couldn't tell the difference between people and trees. And Jesus prayed for him again. And then the second time around, the guy completely received his healing, and he was well. So if you got ministered to through the laying on of hands last week, and you still feel like you need another burst of the anointing, then <laughs> let's have a demonstration uh, going on afterwards. So again, number one, teaching, which is explanation. Number two, preaching, which is proclamation. And number three, healing, which is demonstration. That Jesus finished off with demonstrating to demonstrate that which is taught and proclaimed, so that it's like that's everything that Jesus did. He went around uh, to do exactly that, and as I say, his whole ministry could be summed up into those three parts. If you follow, follow him right from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's exactly what you will find. Now, um, second point here in. In your outline, it says that Jesus demonstrated messianic healings to prove his identity. Let me just explain what that means. Uh, not a term that we might use a great deal, but how many of you remember uh, Western Carrier? Uh, how many of you remember evangelist Western Carrier used to come to our church every year and until he went to heaven a couple of years ago? And he would sometimes talk about messianic healings. And what that means is, in fact, let's first of all establish the term Messiah. In the Old Testament, you got the term Messiah. In the New Testament, you got the term Christ. It's the same person. It's just one's Old Testament, which is Hebrew, and Christ is New Testament. That's Greek, and it means the anointed one. 
All right. And when we talk about messianic healings, uh, we're moving from a passage of Scripture in the book of Isaiah that describes what healings will take place when the Messiah comes. And uh, now healings have taken place throughout the Old Testament, but specifically when the Messiah was going to come, the Bible indicates that there was going to be messianic healings such as blind eyes opening, deaf ears unstopping, lame people walking, lepers being healed, and people raised from the dead. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he came. As I said, healing had taken place in the Old Testament, but some of those concentrated healings uh, uh, are what we call messianic healings. And of course, they're still happening today. Now with that, let me swing into Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And uh, here in uh, verse 16, right through to verse 21, it says that Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. As his custom was. You see, Jesus was a church-going uh, man. Uh, he was brought up like that as a, as a boy. and He was just customarily, he just went to church. How many of you know that that's a good thing to do? And, uh, and he, it moves on here. It says that he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's now reading out of the scroll of Isaiah. And he found that very specific passage of scripture, which is a prophecy concerning the Messiah. All right. It says, Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal. Circle the word heal. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim Liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Now, sometimes people have relegated that whole area into the spiritual realm and say, oh, yeah, Jesus has come to heal people spiritually and he's come to open people's eyes spiritually. And he's done that, but he's also done the whole physical deal. You see, Jesus, God just doesn't focus on, on one side. He, he, he takes a holistic approach, spirit, soul, and body. That whole area of healing is for that matter not only physical, but it is also mental. If somebody's got emotional needs uh, for healing, mental needs for healing, it's also included in there. All right. So to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book. And he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. As I was reading through that, I thought, wow, this is just so cool. This is just like, it's like I had a fresh insight and a fresh revelation. I just got really excited about it. Let me just break this thing down a little bit. Um, Jesus turns up in, the, in his hometown, in, in, in the church, in the synagogue there. And uh, he got up to read, uh, which was not uncommon, uh, that they would call somebody up uh, or that somebody would get up to read. Um, I don't know specifically how it works, but they tell us that sometimes readings are pre-allocated. And so this is what you're going to read. But the Bible says he found the passage. 
he found the passage that he is looking for. And that passage is from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through to verse 2, verse 3. It's what we call a messianic prophecy. A prophecy concerning the Messiah, who he was. And he uh, read through this whole thing and closed up the scroll and he finished by saying, today, and this is now not a prophecy, this is basically him rounding things off. He says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he went to sit down. <laughs> the Bible says that everybody's eyes were fixed on him. People just looking like, what? What did he just do? What did he just say? Now, remember this. The Bible is primarily a Jewish book. And we need to approach it with a Jewish mindset. You know, if we approach it with a Western mindset, it's like, well, what does that mean? Throughout the Old Testament, they were preaching about the Messiah. They were preaching about the Anointed One. They were preaching about the Servant, capital S, that was going to come. And, uh, and to set his people free. And all the prophecies in the Old Testament, and I wish we had time to go through it because it's all very exciting. Uh, and, and all the prophecies and... And, and finally, Jesus stands up one day in his hometown in the synagogue and says, This is it, guys. I'm the one. And they all just looked at him and stunned, like stunned. And then <laughs> what they did is they thrust him outside. They threw him out. And they followed him. And they pushed him up the hill. Uh, and they were going to throw him down and kill him because in their mind, he's just committed not just sacrilege and uh, but he's now committed uh, just a whole deal like, oh gosh, this is blasphemy. This guy is claiming to be the Messiah. This guy is claiming to be the anointed one. He's, the one. he's claiming to be the coming one, and we don't believe him. And so they were getting ready to kill him, and the Bible says he walked right through the midst of them. It was not his time. But see, friends, here's the deal, that his Messiahship was confirmed by demonstrating messianic healings, such as opening the eyes of the blind, and stopping deaf ears, such as healing lame people who were unable to walk or had some sort of a limb uh, issue, that, uh, some sort of a disability, healed all of those and raised people from the dead and cleansed the lepers um, and brought people back to life again. Um, and that was his, his uh, demonstrating that not only does God love people, not only does God want people here, but he's demonstrating that he's truly the Messiah. Again, teaching, preaching, and then demonstrating. Now, here's an interesting point. Um, when uh, Kenneth Hagin used to teach around some of these areas, of course, he's gone to heaven a number of years ago now, but gosh, has he mightily blessed the church with his revelation, with his understanding. He says that he had a vision, and Jesus appeared to him one day. And Jesus said that at every synagogue where he traveled, he made that same announcement out of Isaiah chapter 61. Same announcement. And I think, well, that's reasonable. I, I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily say, thus says the Lord, because this is a man that tells us uh, what his vision said, but I have absolutely no problem with that statement. Here's the, here's the difficulty, though, friends. When Jesus went to other synagogues, and he would have made that announcement, they believed him. And so he taught them, and there was demonstration of healing. Tragically, in the synagogue of Nazareth, 
They didn't believe him, so he gave no explanation, and there was no demonstration. I don't know about you, but that kind of strikes me like, wow. You know, wow. Um, in fact, uh, we just read that he went throughout Galilee to all of their synagogues, and he taught, he proclaimed, and he healed. A little bit later on, is it Matthew chapter 9, 10 or 11, it says that he went throughout their cities and their villages. And then it says again that he taught in their synagogues, he proclaimed uh, the gospel of the kingdom, and he healed and he did the whole deal of demonstration. In other places they believed him, and there was great demonstration of healings, people getting set free from demonic bondages and people healing the brokenhearted. People had emotional issues and so forth. They were all healed under his ministry because they believed him. But tragically, Nazareth never believed him. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus, and I know this is quite involved here, and I know I'm sort of laboring the point, but I think this is important. Jesus went back sometime later, back to Nazareth again, and he tried the whole deal again. And uh, the Bible says that, uh, that uh, this time they responded by saying, Oh, where does this man get all this wisdom from? And where does he get all the mighty works from? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not the, the man whose brothers are among us, James and Joseph and a couple other brothers, and are not his sisters among us? Where does he get these mighty works from? And the Bible says they were offended at him and they reduced him he was the messiah who is actually man and god at the same time here's the messiah and they reduced him down to the level of the carpenter's boy bible says they were offended at him friend watch those offenses they will lock you out of healing every time now what's interesting is uh, John the Baptist was locked up, and he's in prison. Now, John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Messiah. That's what he said. I'm here to prepare the way. I'm, I'm called the voice of uh, one in, in the wilderness and so forth. Um, and uh, he had some disciples that followed him and that helped him doing the baptizing and so forth. The next minute, he gets locked up. Now, his disciples were still around, and they still communicated with him while he was in prison. So the Bible tells us, uh, in fact, we haven't got the scripture printed out, but it's in uh, the reference is printed in, in the text there, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. The Bible says that John the Baptist sent two of his disciples and, uh, to Jesus and to ask him, is he the one? Now, as an aside, John the Baptist and Jesus were actually cousins. They knew each other. And it seemed that uh, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming down through the crowd while he was baptizing, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he absolutely had a revelation that this is the one. Now, John's locked up and he's now not so sure. <laughs> you know, sometimes revelation can sort of fluctuate depending on what's going on and what circumstance. People have a hard time. Oh, I'm now not so sure. So he sends two of his boys over to Jesus. And, 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 and they said, John the Baptist sent us. 
And he wants us to ask you, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Are you the one or do we look for another? And interesting, rather than Jesus saying yes or no, he says, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. Blind eyes are being opened. Deaf ears are being unstopped. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, dead people are raised from the dead. Go and tell him that. Well, what does that mean? Well, John knew the Old Testament. He knew what these messianic prophecies were. In other words, uh, the prophecy speaks of the fact that I'm the one. <laughs> okay. I know about you, but gosh, that really spins my wheels. Like, wow, this is just so cool. This is just so cool. Here we're talking about Jesus' ministry. We're talking about his identity. And it's all like right, all tied together. Old Testament, New Testament, it's all woven together. And Jesus wasn't in the slightest confused about his identity. So as we said, uh, they went back. he went back again to the uh, synagogue in Nazareth for a second time, and then they did that whole deal of calling him the carpenter's son. His brothers, his sisters are among us. Where does he get his mighty works from? And then they said they were offended at him. And <laughs> to tie it all together, when Jesus replied to uh, John the Baptist's disciples, he says, go back and tell John that uh, everything that you see and hear and he, he says, tell him that blind eyes are being opened, deaf ears are being unstopped, uh, the lame walk, uh, lepers are cleansed, people, dead people rise from the dead. And then he said, and then he says, blessed is he who is not offended at me. It's interesting. I just, it's like uh, God just turned on the light for me. They're like, wow, I just saw something. We have a lot of sick people around and we got a lot of sick Christians around. But we also got a lot of offended Christians around. A lot of offended Christians. Now in this instance, it's being offended at Jesus. But offense, full stop, will make it difficult for you to receive your healing. So I'd encourage you, keep short accounts. Just don't, don't hold no grudges against anybody. Forgive, be quick to forgive. Whether they ask you for forgiveness or not, just be quick, be quick. All right, because if you harbor unforgiveness towards somebody or an offense against somebody, it'll lock you out of a part of the blessing of God. Number three, Satan will always try to put healing off into the future. I want to get down now into the specifics of a specific healing that took place with this woman again in the synagogue where much of this transpired. Obviously, Jesus was out in the streets. He was out in the fields, but he was definitely in the synagogues. In fact, uh, according to the scripture, he visited every synagogue in the land, crisscrossed the land, topped north to south, east to west, went to all of their towns, all of their cities, all of their villages, wherever they had a synagogue. Obviously, the central focus point of worship was in Jerusalem at the temple. But back in their hometowns, people had their meeting places called a synagogue, and that's where Jesus ministered a lot. So here we go in um, Luke chapter 13, verse 10. It says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, why was he teaching on the Sabbath? Because that's when the people were there. 
All right. He says, And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and he said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them. What is them? Well, one of the other days. The Sabbath is Saturday. He said, no, you can't be healed on Saturday. Come back. Can get healed on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but not on Saturday. Now, we'll come back to that. All right. <laughs> this is like religion. This is just so bad. You know, uh, Religious devils. And uh, be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So all the opposers, when Jesus answered them and confronted them, they all sort of dropped down their head in shame, which they should have. Uh, I mean, this is religion for you. It's just so bad. So let's pick up the story from the beginning. Jesus is in the Sabbath. What does he do? He probably made the same announcement that we read just before uh, in, the, in the synagogue of uh, Nazareth. He probably made the same announcement right there. So he made the proclamation. He gave the explanation. And then he started with his healing. Uh, he started with, you know, like ministering to people. Uh, and as I said, just a bit later on, I just want to open up the front of the uh, uh, auditorium here. And if anybody needs healing in any area or any, any um, uh, prayer just concerning anything physical, emotional, or mental, or whatever it is, we're going to pray. We're going to have a demonstration here. So here is this woman that uh, was bowed over for 18 years, and it's a devil that put that sickness on her. Now, that lets us know that sometimes people need healing uh, in order to be healed, but sometimes people need deliverance because if there's a spirit there, you've got to cast the spirit out, and then healing will be established. So it's like a dual thing of deliverance and healing at the same time. Sometimes just healing, and depending on what's going on, uh, is what the situation demands. So this woman was bowed over for 18 years. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, this would not be fun. Not even for five minutes, all right? I remember, I sometimes tell this story. When I grew up, and uh, the, my parents' home, uh, our family home was probably about uh, one and a half, two kilometers out of town. Um, it was a single um, house. We had a neighbor up the road, probably about 100 meters, and then the village was up the hill, 
uh, and a few villages beyond. And in the early days, a lot of people used to walk to church. Uh, they used to walk to the shops. Uh, there wasn't any sort of transportation much, uh, so people would walk. And when I was a little guy, it always, uh, it always fascinated me when there's this one woman that came along, sometimes by herself, and sometimes uh, with you know, a, a group of people as they would walk together. And she literally, she would walk like this. She was bowed over like this, and she would walk along like that. And every now and then she would sort of stop. Never seen her upright, never, never saw her, but she was able to sort of turn her head sideways to have a little look to see where she was, and then she'd just, you know, beave it on again. Um, and that kind of, that's the picture that comes to mind where Jesus saw this woman and he singled her out. And he said to her, Woman, he says, You are loosed from your infirmity. You are loosed. Um, in fact, uh, Jesus made a faith command. You know, when it comes to healing, we don't suggest, we don't hope, we're not like, oh, let's try this. No, we, we speak. We speak. We release authority through the spoken word. Bible says that when Jesus came to Peter's house, his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law was lying in, in, in bed, sick with a fever. And the uh, Bible says that Jesus stood over her, and he rebuked the fever. So uh, that shows me two things. Jesus wasn't in any way like, oh, I hope something's going to happen. No, he walked in there with confidence. He stood over her with, with, like a, a posture of authority. And he rebuked the fever. So in other words, he spoke to the fever directly. When we pray for people and minister to them, many times we speak to that sickness directly because that sickness is an it. And that sickness has a name. Whether we know the name or not, it doesn't matter so much. But the Bible says that the name of Jesus is above every other name. And that's just a sort of a, an area there, good for us to, to understand and to meditate on. When we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, that name is above every other name. Not, not only of every other, the name of every other being, be they heavenly beings, People or demonic beings of beings in heaven or beings on the earth or beings under the earth, but, but above every other name. And that's why, you know, as a sickness has got a name, uh, usually. And the name of Jesus is above that. So he stood over her and he rebuked the fever. In this instance here, he says, woman, he says, you are loosed from your infirmity. And there was a release of faith. Uh, and there was a release of the power of God through the spoken word. So when we minister to somebody, or for that matter, when we stand against sickness and disease in our own body, don't be timid. Be very authoritative. All right? Because authority is wrapped up in the name of Jesus Christ. So, he says, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And by the time he called her, she's still coming out. Um, and he laid hands on her, and she got straightened out immediately, and she glorified God. And I think you and I would as well. If we'd been walking around bowed over for 18 years, uh, we would give thanks to God right there, wouldn't we? Praise God. So, uh, so anyway, it's always good to give thanks to God for everything like all the time, not just when something drastic happens. Anyway, this woman had a marvelous deliverance, just a marvelous deliverance, a marvelous healing right there. And uh, just a bit later on, Jesus pointed out that uh, 
that says, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, what does that mean? Well, she's a covenant woman. She's got a covenant right to healing. You know, we, we look at the uh, Syrophoenician woman that we, we talked about last week, the woman that came saying, my daughter is lying at home, severely demon-possessed, please help her. She wasn't a covenant woman. She was a Canaanite. She wasn't a Jewish woman. But this woman is a Jewish woman, a daughter of Abraham. She's got a right to healing. And that's what Jesus confronted these religious leaders over. He says, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, the devil has bound her. Lo, he says, for 18 years. Unbelievable. And she gets healed. In fact, she should have got healed with the, with the synagogue leaders there. They should have got her healed. But they didn't. But when she did get healed, they got offended. It just boggles the mind. Whom Satan is bound... Lord is 18 years, says, be loosed from her infirmity. And so the ruler of the synagogue, the synagogue leader, is offended now. He is uh, indignant. And he addresses the crowd. Now, he didn't address the woman. Too late with her. She's already healed. Too late with her. But he opens his mouth and he begins to speak to the crowd. Now, this is the devil speaking to the crowd. That synagogue um, leader is voicing the devil's message to everybody else that's still sick. What does he say? He says there are six days on which you can get healed. Six days on which man should work and rest on the seventh day. Now, there's a lot of things in there, friend. I wish I had time to sort of get, get into every aspect of it. But he says, therefore, he says, come and be healed on one of those days, but don't get healed on the Sabbath day. What does that mean? He's saying, it's a Sabbath day today, and you can't get healed today. Yes, God will heal you. Come another day. Come tomorrow. So if people were to come tomorrow, guess what? The devil think of another excuse and say, no, 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 you can't be healed today. Come tomorrow. So the people come back tomorrow, and then tomorrow has become today. So people say, I, I want to be healed. The devil think of another excuse. No, 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 no. you can't be healed today. You, you can be healed tomorrow. And I had the revelation. The devil always puts healing off into the future. The devil can't do away with healing altogether. I mean, he did for many, de many decades, many centuries, but he can't do away with it. There's been too many people that have been healed. There's, there's people in that synagogue, they see the woman, that she, she's healed. For 18 years, they've known her. She's healed. So the devil can't do a cover-up job here. Can't be done. It's happened right before their very eyes. But here's what the devil does. He said, <laughs> you can't be healed today. Come tomorrow. Come tomorrow. Tomorrow's become today. I'm here to be healed. No, sorry, you can't be healed today. Come tomorrow. And inadvertently, we can be guilty of doing the same thing of somehow thinking, ah, oh, 
hopefully it'll happen tomorrow. Come tomorrow. Oh, it's today. Uh, not today. You can't be healed today. And as I said, this goes around and around and around. The devil just run people around and run them around and around and around. Friend, healing is for today. Jesus just demonstrated it. Just right there. He just right there demonstrated. And what also struck me, that this religious guy, he used a scriptural concept to talk them out of healing. What's the scriptural concept? He says there are six days on which man ought to work. He go right back to the beginning where God instituted the Sabbath day and God said exactly that. He says six days you work and on the seventh day you rest. That devil picks up that truth and uses that to confuse the people. See, the devil will quote scripture to you to keep you out of what God has for you. And it's been said that the devil knows more scripture than what most Christians do. <laughs> Vanessa and I, we had uh, many, many years ago, we were in a, before we came into the ministry here, we were in a part of a church then for a while. There was this dear lady there that had been uh, talked to a horrific, horrific background of witchcraft and Satanism. It's just unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Boggles the mind. You wouldn't even think that such a thing is possible, that she was like basically uh, conceived and bred for the whole purpose of being a bride to Satan and everything else. It's like what goes on in that world is just unbelievable. But anyway... She uh, had some, she's a lovely person, but uh, she had just incredible demonic problems, incredible demonic problems. And like she come into a certain situation and she would like quote scriptures. I'm, I'm talking pages of it, pages, quote scripture, quote scripture. Now I know the, uh, the leaders in that environment, in that church where we were a part of, they ended up getting her delivered. And then they had to ship her out because they were just this... People were forever after her and tried to kill her. It was just a disaster. So they had to get her away and hide her and everything. But here's the deal. She's quoting scripture while she's under the influence of that demonic spirit. And when the devil was cut out, she couldn't remember a single scripture anymore. So what I'm telling you is that the devil knows more scripture than what a lot of Christians do. And this devil of a man, that leader of the synagogue, that religious demon is addressing the people and using scripture and a scriptural concept to keep people out of the covenant blessing that God has for them. As I, say, I, have very little, I have very little time and very little taste for, and when I hear somebody preach on about one thing, and they're even having an ability to make it sound good, to tell me that I can't be healed, or I can't prosper, I can't do this, whether that's on radio, television, I just click and I just click him off right there. Don't want to hear that. Um, do not, do not uh, try to confuse me. It's too late. <laughs> I've been healed. God's blessed me. It's too late. You can't talk me out of it anymore. <laughs> so the devil uses scripture to confuse Christians. And the trick is not so much to know more scripture than the devil. It's to know what the scriptures mean. That's why we do teaching. That's why we teach. Is anybody excited here this morning? <laughs> there are six days on which man ought to work. Work. He just watched Jesus heal somebody, and he calls it work. But that's not work. That's the grace of God. Jesus 
He's just out fulfilling his calling. It's for, to him, it's his passion. That's what he does. The guy calls it work. And, uh, and there's a nuance here. I don't know if I can connect the dots well enough for you that you can lay a hold of that. But Jesus healed this woman on the Sabbath day, which is the day of rest. And this leader of the synagogue said, oh, no, that was work. You, you shouldn't do that on a Sunday. Come, come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday or something. Uh, and, uh, but you see, when you come into your full healing for your body, and there's no need to put it off to tomorrow, you've entered the rest of God. When you come into your place of faith, you've entered the rest of God. The rest of God is not just one day, a physical day. And in the Old Testament, they had the whole uh, year of Jubilee, where a whole year they had a rest. And then they had all the feasts throughout the year, they had rests. But the Bible says there's a rest for you and for me that we enter, and we live in this rest permanently, even while we are working, we're in the rest of God. And that's a place that we can only get to by faith. So, <laughs> the devil wants sick people to think that healing is always in the future. The devil can't explain healing away anymore. It's too late. It can't be done anymore. So I said, some of these messages here that we minister now, 30 years after the church was planted, some of these were like signature messages that we used to preach in the early days 30 years ago. And some of you that have been around 30 years, you know, you remember that back then healing was like, oh, we're just not so sure. And getting somebody filled with the Spirit, oh, we're not so sure about that. I mean, nowadays it's, you know, across the board, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, you know, we don't have to wait anymore. Have you remember where the old-time Pentecostals used to have tarrying meetings? Tarry. Um, and what's that term? The, the word tarry means wait. And in the King, King James Version, when Jesus addressed his disciples in Luke chapter 24, just before he goes to heaven, he says, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Wait. In other words, wait until you're endued with power from on high. Jesus goes to heaven. A few days later, it's the day of Pentecost. In the upper room, the Holy Spirit was poured out. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as uh, the Spirit gave them, gave them the utterance. And so, what was that waiting period? In this instance, a period of six, seven, maybe eight days. Because there's a transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And the Spirit is poured out. And now everybody can re receive the Spirit right now. What do the Pentecostals do? The old-time Pentecostals is in, uh, you know, who perhaps didn't... Some of them had come into the Pentecostal experience, others are not. So they would be waiting. They would have waiting meetings. Let's tarry. Let's, let's wait. And they would wait for something to happen. And these dear people would wait sometimes, not just for weeks, for months. They'd wait for years and years and years to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it's like God saying, what is it with you people? I put out the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, made it available to everybody. Why are you waiting? I was up in, 
in Asia, visiting a couple of countries there. And Peter was, uh, we were together in the first place of ministry there. And uh, it was just marvelous seeing the outpouring of the Spirit of God and getting people baptized with the Holy Spirit in one instance where they never even thought that that was for today. You know, in the end, the work convinced them that that is for today. Getting the, the leader of the ministry there that we're supporting, getting the leader filled, getting his family filled. His daughter was more keen than what he was, but in the end, praise God, they all got filled with the Holy Spirit. Then getting most of the women filled and many of the children filled with the Holy Spirit. To watch that is just such a joy. Uh, now they weren't waiting for anything because they didn't know what to wait for. I went down to, uh, into the nation of Burma, go to this Pentecostal church, a thriving work. It was just a, a joy to behold and wonderful leaders there, a great, great pastor there and, and everything. Just a thriving work. They've got a Bible college going on, and yet half the Bible college students are not filled with the Holy Spirit. What, what's, I said to the pastor, what's, what's going what, what, what is it with that? Oh, he says, well, they're trying. <laughs> they're trying. And, uh, and I said, well, let's, let's, let's help them. <laughs> so anyway, so praise God, I ministered along the lines of, you know, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then spent some time praying for them. Um, and uh, in the scheduled meetings, uh, we had some limited results in getting some of them filled but not others and I came away a bit frustrated uh, from that I thought what's the hold up here and uh, what's going on and uh, so anyway Sunday morning was my last place and time for ministry and I said to the pastor I said look I says I'm I'm came away a bit frustrated yesterday because we we had the teaching we had the proclamation but we didn't have the demonstration we need demonstration you know, the word works itself out. If the word's received, the word will work itself out. But sometimes we need to help and prompt people a little bit. And so uh, I said, look, I says, I'd like to spend some more time with your Bible college students. Uh, I said, give me half an hour, I says, and, and, and I can get them all filled with the Holy Spirit. I was confident. I says, we can do this. He says, yes, it's easy. He says, they all live upstairs. We gather them all together Sunday afternoon, and we just schedule another meeting. It's easy. So I sat down. Um, and, uh, and shared the word, and I sort of went through some scriptures that I felt was going to help them to, rather than trying, it said, let's not try now, let's, let's just step into this experience. Sometimes people, people are trying to be healed, but let's not try now, let's step into that experience. And the word, and you know, the, the explanation and the proclamation will, will lead to the demonstration. And so, but this time I did things differently. When I started to pray for people, I, I said to the, one of the leaders there, I says, look, I says, you speak English very well. Uh, I says, why don't you help me? Please help me. And when I pray for people, you interpret every single word. Every single word. And what I tell them to do, you interpret every single word. Well, by the time we finished, uh, I think all but one or two all got filled with the Holy Spirit because it's sometimes in the instructing of it that helps people to fall into the experience. And why do we painstakingly go through the word and do the explanation, do the proclamation, so when we come to the demonstration, we haven't got the issues that sometimes we have. 
And, uh, and as I said to the pastor, I says, look, I says, I'm leaving tomorrow, but I says, otherwise, I'd, for the, those two people, I says, give me another couple of hours. Uh, and, uh, and in the end, my sense was that they just didn't have faith to be filled. In the end, that's what it was. They had all the explanation, but they didn't receive the word. They didn't, because we share the word so that faith rises and people can use their faith to receive. We don't need to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. That was established 2,000 years ago. And step into it just like that. But they just didn't know. And I'm saying all of that to tell you this. That healing was established 2,000 years ago. For somebody to receive prayer in the area of healing. And then say, oh, God, it didn't work. God didn't heal me today. Immediately I know they don't understand. It's not whether God heals you or not. It's whether you receive your healing. Receive it today, receive it now. And I'm laboring the point, and as I told you earlier on, it's like, it's like, oh, I tell you what, I'm just really, really excited about this word and uh, the potential that is there for somebody that may have struggled for years and sometimes it's just missing that, that little piece, that little piece in the jigsaw uh, puzzle of the understanding that will usher somebody in and absolutely get them healed and get them delivered. Jesus, in the final point, the sub-point here, Jesus called sickness a bondage of the devil. He says, whom Satan has bound these 18 years. It's the devil that made the woman sick. It's not God that makes people sick. It's the devil that made this woman sick. Very quickly now, last scripture, point number four. Healing is not just for today. Healing is for right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Paul the Apostle speaking. He says, and we are working together with him, meaning with God. We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listen to you. Now, in that portion here in verse 2, Paul's quoting an Old Testament passage out of, uh, I believe it's out of the uh, book of Isaiah chapter, someplace, anyway. He says, God said, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Notice the day of salvation, the day of salvation. And then Paul finishes the quote and then he makes this profound statement. He says this, behold. He says, listen, look. He says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Now. You know what the devil would try if he could? If we could convince people that salvation, uh, let me start again, that healing, salvation, healing, it's all one package. If we can convince people that healing is not just for tomorrow, but that it's for today, you know what the devil will do? He will say, okay then, if that's what we have to do, let's do it today, but let's do it later. <laughs> and he will still put it off 
If it were in the morning, he'd put it off in the afternoon. If it were in the afternoon, he'd put it off into the evening. As I say, we're now moving from the macro thing right down into the micro level. The devil will still lie and lie and lie and lie to keep somebody out of the blessing of God. And Paul says, no, 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 actually, it's right now. It's right now. Very shortly, we're very happy to pray for people. But actually, you could right where you are receive your healing right now where you're seated right now, lay a hold of it because God is not holding out. All we need to do is believe the announcement that Jesus said and the fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did 2,000 years ago, he will do today. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you right now. That whole area of Jesus making the announcement, and I'll wrap up with this statement. Um, Jesus made the announcement that he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. One translation, I believe it's the NIV, says that to, to, to proclaim the year of the favor of the Lord. And Paul says, that year, that day, actually, and we know it's not just a year. It's not just a day. It's actually a whole period, what we call the age of grace which began on the day of Pentecost, will end with the rapture of the church. And then there's another segment going on before the second coming of Jesus Christ called the Great Tribulation. I don't want to complicate matters, but we're in this period of grace right now. We are now in the acceptable time. Now, and Paul says, it's now. It's now. Don't let the devil say it's in the afternoon. It's right now. It's right now. <laughs>